0: Symbols We're all
1: familiar with them. There are shortcuts to vital information. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols, which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. It is designed to inform parents about the suitability of movie content for viewing by their children. G, all ages admitted, general audiences. GP, all ages admitted, parental guidance suggested. R restricted under 17 requires accompanying parent or adult guardian X X X X X X X X X X X X X
0: This is the video nasties A through Z with death by Love Camp 7 and Madhouse.
1: Whoa! So, this is Radioland, huh? The infinite turtle, the, the ways for the ether fuzz roll on forever? Roar! <laughs>
0: This is the Video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD. Catch, catch, the horror taxi. I am Harry Scott Sullivan, and I, Alexander Nash, is here. We are going to keep on keeping on. That sounds stupid, but I'm going to keep it in the show anyhow. We are continuing our fan favorite. We we finally, we can say in almost 14 years of the show, we have a fan favorite segment. The Video Nasties A through Z with Death by DVD. We have not done a Video Nasty since... You know what? I think May of 2022. So serendipitously, we are right on time to give you all the nasty things you want. And this is going to be, eh, it's not actually particularly that bad. It's pretty stable, video nasty. We got some Nazi exploitation. We got some crazy sisters. And like I said, sweet, 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 sweet I. Alexander Nash.
1: Here I am, stuck in Nazi exploitation with you. Here I am,
0: fuck, Nazi exploitation. Don't really care to watch it, but here we are again. Here I don't I think am that's the actual song, but. Watching Nazi spanking a Jew. Uh, Ooh. Can't say mm. Jew anymore? Alright. Mm. It's the fucking movie! That? It's what happens. Alright, can't say that anymore. I don't know. Can't say. Can't say Jew anymore. This is Death by DVD. That's the show. (laughs) That's it. We said the movie. Go listen to Taylor Swift. That's gone. Yep. Shake it off. Just shake it off. Yeah, that was the cold cold opener. We are back with with the Video <laughs> Nasties A through Z. We're talking about Love Camp Seven and Madhouse nineteen eighty one. Not the other Madhouse. This is the this is the not the one with John Larroquette and Kirstie Alley. Not the John Larroquette and Kirstie Alley Madhouse. God God rest her soul. Or I'm watch no... the wrong movie. Zenu rest her soul rather shouldn't shouldn't say that. But yeah, Kirstie Alley died. I keep forgetting that one. John Larroquette still alive
1: and uh, well, kicking on. Uh... Night court again. That's got to be a certain circle of hell that like uh, you got to do 30 years of night court.
0: And you've gone nowhere. You've just come back to it. There's there's he was
1: on the John Larket show and I really did enjoy that show. I thought it was a very literate show. It just did not last
0: because no one wants
1: to watch a guy run a uh, bus station or was it a, a train station I think it was a bus station I think it was a bus station.
0: He also did the opening narration for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for a bag of weed. Everybody knows that one. Sweet sweet John Lee. Everyone's sweet tonight on the episode except the people that made Love Camp 7. We're not well, you know, they're not bad guys, but they're not good guys. Uh, this is the worst
1: thing about because anytime you get into video nasties anytime you try to explain video nasties to people you always have to bring up oh and by the way a like a good little chunk of these are nazi exploitation films and they're horrible to watch i don't know why people are fans of them i just i've never gotten into the the genre but because it all ends up like love camp seven which is special because it's really the first exploitation film, but it all ends up feeling like fetish porn to me, and it's uninteresting fetish porn at that.
0: Yeah, I mean, when when we get to that spot, I have some things to say about the movie, and you and I were chatting before the show, and, and I'll just say what I said there, here. I don't have anything good nor bad to say about Love Camp 7, and when we get to that spot, you'll hear all about it. I have a good thing to say
1: about it. At least... The torture is pretty minimal. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like that's, It's not as uh, graphic as Ilsa or uh, Gestapo's Last Orgy or any of that. It's more on just the bunch of naked women and orgies and people in Nazi outfits. And, oh, we're in a concentration camp. Man, that's generally it.
0: Well, even the the fetishistic side and the nudity side is pretty tame compared to the standards of other Nazi exploitation movies. But I was talking to a friend uh, before the recording of this episode, and they'd asked what was going to be on the next episode, and was like, well, uh, we're doing a Nazi movie, and then one's kind of interesting. It's kind of a, a giallo-ish proto-slasher. It's, it's an interesting movie. And they were like, It's oh, kind it... of a real movie, too.
1: That yeah. was the thing that surprised me most about ever watching it again, was just like, oh, this kind of, like, feels like a Hollywood film and it's not just, you know, just cause uh, the, a movie we'll be getting to next week. Oh, it's a roughy. It's just kind of like real sloppy, but this is an actually produced film.
0: Yeah, it looks good. It feels good. Um I do have, I don't know if they're complaints, but I have some, some things I do want to bring up more on the negative side when we get to that point. But I was explaining to them, no, 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 it's not like a, an American history X movie because when you say Nazi movie, That tends to be... There's American History X, and and it's often not mentioned. You've got Romper Stomper, which I think comparatively Romper Stomper is a far superior movie to American History X. But more often than not, that's people's uh, deep knowledge of what you'd call a Nazi movie. But we have brought it up on other Video Nasty episodes that involve this style of exploitation. But the genre can technically even stretch back a little bit farther than what we're going to talk about. This is one of the earliest Nazi exploitation films, though there are things that predate this stylistically. I don't I don't want to say this is the first, but it's the ground floor. This is really breaking into a genre that hadn't been mined yet, but at the same time was just straight up relighting the fire of nudie cuties. The producer of this movie, David F. Friedman, weird guy. He had this idea for years. He wanted to make a Nazi exploitation movie like in the early 60s, late 50s, originally before Blood Feast. Friedman had pitched this idea to H.G. Lewis of, like, let's do a sexy concentration camp movie. And Lewis looked at him and said, what the fuck is your problem? No! Let's do Blood Feast instead. And to the credit of H.G. Lewis, what I think is a big difference is, yes, how, how could you say Blood Feast is a better idea Than a concentration camp movie. Well, for one, it's not about the Holocaust. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. Anything's better than any sort of exploitation about the Holocaust. But what H.G. Lewis really specialized in and what made his work kind of magical is his violence was never centered in reality. His violence was always in some sort of far-fetched, bizarre, this-could-never-really-happen scenario. It was very well understood that what you were watching was not real as to where depicting even if it was sexy, which God only fucking knows how you could make the Holocaust sexy, but even if it was sexy, it's real depictions of violence, and that was never an interest of H.G. Lewis, which I give him a great deal of credit for because we've talked about it a lot on this show. I know you hate it, but I, I I have a great disdain for violence for the sake of violence, and Nazi exploitation movies are usually violence for the sake of violence. Well, it it's
1: really about tapping into a weird as i said earlier just there's a certain fetish for it because there's still like in uh it really kind of let's say it started but it was prevalent in the bdsm community and there's you still see like kind of gestapo style uniforms like leather and it, there's something about what happened during the holocaust and world war ii that people kind of got this weird obsession like a sexual obsession with nazi characters and to get like i don't want to get into the history of all that because i mean you would have to like dig way deeper but it's also kind of like personal feelings sort of thing as well like historically why did people kind of gravitate towards this horrible segment of history to kind of fetishize and turn into i mean it's a fucking genre. There's like, how many? I can't. I don't even know exactly how
0: many Nazi exploitation films there are. There's at least like what forty to fifty. I think at this point you would even have to break it down from a genre to even a subgenre because there are Nazi sex exploitation movies. There's torture movies. There's Nazi zombie movies. That it it has been fetishized on and off screen even even to a lesser extent you've been talking a lot about the um the bdsm community and 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 definitely the the usage of the uniforms but even in mainstream culture somebody like the 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 late great beloved lemmy kilmeister from motorhead he wore ss hats avidly collected nazi stuff his entire life and when asked about it it was just kind of a part of his childhood that he was growing up during world war ii and the Blitzkrieg and London's being bombed and there's all sorts of shit going on. So it it was just I don't know, I'm collecting these memento moris of the dead bad guy, and in that era, and I'm not making any any sort of excuse. I'm talking about a dead guy for one. Lemmy's dead. So whatever your feelings on him, let's put those aside. I'm not trying to make explanations for people that, because it is, I find it odd, especially now, like in 2023, if your pal Tim has a really huge Nazi collection, I'm going to willing to say Tim. Time to cut off
1: Tim. Yeah, he's
0: probably a Nazi. If it looks like a Nazi, if it sounds like a Nazi, it's probably a fucking Nazi. So it's, it's a weird line of fetishism to, oh, they might actually really like this shit. It's it's. And I'm not trying to accuse I anyone. Think some of it, even know, like weird. in today's culture, a lot of it
1: has to do with that. Oh, I'm so edgy. This is something that people don't want to touch. Yet I'm I'm pushing myself to that line of what's acceptable in culture, and it's like there's a reason this specific thing and this specific concept is really kind of frowned upon in culture, and. We've all kind of turned our heads, you know, for like the last 30, 40, oh God, 50 years on like kind of, you know, the Nazi obsession thing. because, And now it's popping back up in basically popular discourse of people having these basic debates with white nationalists and how prevalent they are in society
0: at this point and well, you know what i've noticed i mean uh, on on the course of american politics even i follow the president of the united states joe biden on instagram and i've noticed even even the language has changed that instead of calling and this is, I, I don't know, I guess we could lose some audience with this. but instead of saying this motherfucker's a Nazi, they'll go, these Maga Republicans. And that's become its own acronym just as Nazi stood for what National Socialist Germans Workers Party, Maga, make America great again. It's become this fucking synonym for the exact same thing that it, it's there's no real difference. We're just not out there saying it, but' it's, it's not the same logo, but you've got your little fucking red hat, you've got your swastika. You know, mix the two together. Oh, God! Somebody put their dick in the peanut butter.
1: And or chocolate, the chocolate in the peanut some,
0: butter. Like, there's some people who go,
1: yeah, okay, I'm a Nazi. But most of them go, but I didn't literally say I was a Nazi. So you can't call me one. It's like, yeah, but you're espousing just Nazi beliefs left and right. Well, not really, because, you know, black people and Jews are different. So... I, I don't think it's the same thing because I don't hate the Jews with uh, like a half smirky ass smile. And it's just this stupid game we're playing now. And I I don't know how much of that has to do with getting back to something like Love Camp 7. There's just this weird obsession with this ultimate evil and playing with that ultimate evil um, through art. and And you can play with it. But you also have to have a little respect for it. And I just don't think the Nazi exploitation genre had much respect for it. Uh, and and that's not always the case because I think I've, I've seen a couple. Like Bruno Mattai made one um, called SS Girls that it's a sex exploitation film. But it doesn't focus on the torture elements. It doesn't focus on Holocaust elements. It kind of focuses on what shits Nazis were. And there's a little bit of fetishization. And much like Love Camp 7, a little bit the same thing. Because we don't go so heavy into the torture aspects. Yes, Hell Captive, in a camp, orgies, the sex angle is all still there. It's just not quite as prevalent in the violence aspect as, say, something like Elsa she Wolf for the S.S. Because after you watch that movie, it's just like, Jesus Christ, what did I just watch? Just, I watched a bunch
0: of fucking abuse and nudity. Which is ironic because Ilse Schirmer of the SS was also produced by David F. Friedman. So he started very meager. couldn't get out of it. <laughs> yeah, he he had an idea. You can at least give it to this gentleman. He followed through with his passion. Boy, these are money makers. I sure love this shit. And uh, but you, you know, I I we can only speak presumptively on this, but it 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 definitely seems fetishistic from even the earliest standpoint of Love Camp Seven and the the torture you see in this movie is mostly i mean like i the, the worst i can think of is somebody is being suspended over two pieces of wood that are going pyramid style into her crotch where she can't become comfortable at all that's maybe the most intense sequence of torture in this movie but i have a really weird question for you well it's not really a weird question but would you consider i mean obviously the the world war 2 film and glorious bastards quentin tarantino made that's an exploitation film that's a big budget a Nazi exploitation film. But what do you think about something like um, Schindler's List? I mean, would you think that kind I mean, it, I don't know if it's necessarily – it's an exploitation eh. film, I would say, in the sense that it's exploiting the su- topic and subject matter.
1: It's more – to me, I think Schindler's List is more like a matter of record of – like. I mean, there's a certain fictionalization because it is a film. So, I mean, there is going to be fictional elements you have to add to it for story purposes. I mean, it's not all 100% a true story, but like, it gets all the details of it like absolutely correct of what these events, like how they happened. Um, Maybe not specifically this person did this this day, but yeah, this is generally the kind of shit that was going on. And it's more of like documenting an era through history, and we're not... We're not fetishizing the Nazis as like a dominant captor, and it's it's kind of sexy, and like when you get into that, and with *Inglorious Bastards*, you could call it a Nazi exploitation film as well. But the big difference in that one is, to me, is the Nazis are never particularly looked upon as anything other than. Complete evil. Yeah, they're okay. like they're not something to be Like there's some there's some funny stuff you can laugh at them again at certain points in the film, but they're not like we're not fetishizing the Nazis. We're I mean they're Nazi killers in the film, so it's it's just kind of a different thing. Even though it kind of it does ride that line of exploitation of this this subject matter.
0: Well, that kind of brings up a great point of kind of where you can draw a line in the sand of if this is a, an exploitation movie or if it's an actual. I don't want to say an art piece, but a, a subjective film about World War II or the Holocaust.
1: The moment you add a sexual element to me is when it kind of is. We got to this point. Where we're kind of crossing the line of what are what are we doing here as filmmakers? Like what what to, what audience are we really trying to sell this to? And it kind of seems like I don't give a shit where the money comes from, as long as I make money off of this. And I'm kind of like, ah, that's. That's pretty fucking sleazy of you, but eh. I mean, most of these people are dead. This is 1969 for Christ's sakes.
0: We'll see for me. My line is going to be drawn at how are the Nazis portrayed that if, if there's any sort of angle that makes them look cool or punk rock or neat uniforms then you're clearly watching an exploitation film, but something like Schindler's list, there's a depiction of the absolute horrid evil beyond evil. That's even like a cheap word. The Nazis are evil. It's beyond that. Get a better word than that. Just the uh, inhumane, nastiness is the cold darkness if that's betrayed, then yeah you're not watching an exploitation film which is um kind of an interesting standing point with Love Camp 7 because I th- sure they got neato looking uniforms but I don't think the Nazis are particularly portrayed as good guys you've got the leader of the camp who's just this sleazy kind of nasty person and then later on you've got uh, a, 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 a very high regard SS guy who is is disgusted with him, and there's all these varying characters that all show varying levels of, of great nastiness. None of them are really favorable characters. Well, I, I but to me
1: where the, that line gets kind of crossed and trampled on is, like, it's the depiction. Yes, the Nazi characters are depicted as being evil in a film like this, but it's also being depicted as something that, like, this dichotomy this grouping of people it's it's a sexy situation that we're in it could be kind of sexy it's like no nothing about the holocaust or nazi <laughs> concentration camps or medical experiments was ever fucking sexy none of and it nor do we need to really kind of exploit it for kind of a
0: thrills based film and the movie begins so real like it, it begins with like this this very uh, cheap World War II movie. Like, you feel like you're going to go on this genuine ride where you've got these Americans. Like, I don't know what the, the, the pretense of all these people being in the same room is, a business deal or something. And they end up telling a war story. One of the older gentlemen was an American. He was a Marine. He fought in the Pacific. And the other guy was British. And his associate goes, oh, well, he's making it sound like he didn't do much, but here's the story. And this movie has a really great setup. And the story itself is interesting, that you learn that this female jewish scien- scientist this female jewish <laughs> <laughs> scientist i don't know i, I had scientist. struggled oh i well, halfway through saying i'm like should i not say jewish am i like can i say that i don't know this but she it's, it's pertinent to her character this so she has gone missing she's working on this big project and somebody was taking care of her for the nazis and she was leaking information to the allied to the english sas i don't know what they're called special fancy Queens service of friends and everybody holds hands she was Fucking sending them information. Her caretaker dies and she goes missing. So you're, you're hearing the story and it's like, this is kind of some Tom Clancy shit. This is advanced. I mean, it looks a little cheap, but we're moving into a genuine story here. And then all of a sudden they're like, yo, but here what? here's the thing. We think she's gone to a sex camp, a Nazi sex camp it's where they just have sex. They don't do anything too naughty. They just have sex. Maybe a little experimenting here. We've got these two girls. We're going to get him completely naked, send him to the sex camp. And it de- you've got, like, maybe seven minutes before this movie completely derails, and you're like, oh, we were working with something. We were going somewhere. And then we just, we've just we crossed that line, just, like,
1: fetishization of the situation. And it's whatever. It's just there's nothing. Pre- like, to me, even this outside of the, the, the Nazi aspect of it and the World War II aspect of it, I'm not particularly interested in... Shit like oh, put it this way. Vinegar syndrome. I mean, they started out releasing classic porn on Blu-ray. And I didn't buy a lot of stuff from Vinegar Syndrome at that point because I just I'm not interested in erotica from like the 1960s and 70s and 80s. Like I'm just not that interested in that subject matter personally. And that's kind of where Love Camp 7 hits me, is it's just like, oh, it's just okay. I'm gonna see a lot of 70s bush. Um, a lot of man ass and a whole lot of not sexy
0: sex. You don't even get a lot of that like the, most of the sex is really awkward you get a, there's a lot of tits there's just dangling bouncing popping gyrating tits couple man asses but the, it's and it's really bland and I don't even mean that in the sense of just like you can't jerk off to this there's nothing to jerk off to No, know the movie the entirety of the movie you've got and I, I, I mean this as a joke home, it's like home
1: videos of like ugly people fucking.
0: Well, I mean, this this joke can go two ways. Also, I can go deeper with this. this. This literally, I mean it funny, but I mean it seriously. This movie is like a very lewd episode of Hogan's Heroes and or Bob Crane's home fucking movies. That it's just a bunch of spanking and tits and then they'll have these little interludes where they start talking about the story. But even, like, I talked about the first, like, six minutes of this. So these two characters have to go into Nazi Germany, and they've got these resistance people that are telling them what's going on. And the movie instantly begins to go downhill at this point, because while this character smoking a cigarette, working on a radio, explains to them, this is what you have to do. They completely strip naked, and from that point on, I think, it's almost every five scenes... You'll have complete nudity, everyone's naked, Uh, not even, like, good simulated sex, just somebody with pants on, not even gyrating, just laying on top of a woman who's screaming, and then you'll get these, like, brief set-piece scenes with the Nazis. It's just like a—if you took out all the funny parts of Hogan's Heroes with Bob's crane and all the guys fucking jerking off in their little bunks, and you just had the goofy Nazi shit with the commandant and the the toy maker— well, he wasn't a toy maker, but the guy that played the friend—not the friend, but the other SS officer. I mean, they weren't like <laughs> pals, you know, like they weren't just like at summer camp or anything. But the other Nazi, the the one that knew nothing—that guy—he was a toy maker in real life. Fun facts you probably never thought you'd know about Hogan's Heroes. Don't know his name, but it's just like those segments. And then up here's some—not even like, man, it's not even like Larry Flint type of porn it's it's nothing I mean it's not even there's one scene though there is one scene where a woman is being spanked and they just they couldn't figure out how to hit it shoot that scene so they're just letting loose and spanking her with the belt, and you can see welts forming on her butt and her legs and it's not I mean I I, I it's not even like an S&M sexy it's like man they're just beating this chick with all right this is terrible <laughs>
1: It's fucking I terrible. mean well this whole genre can, like kind of Has like spread out of the Ruffies era, which was pre this. This was like late fifties throughout the early sixties and stuff, which was basically a like a rape fetishization. It's a hard one. Like, there's a whole genre of them. Like H.G. Lewis, I don't think he made any of them, but he got damn close with some of his films, where they were just about like suburban women put into situations where they like. Get put into like handcuffs or tied up. It's kind of like a lot of old uh, Wonder Woman comics where it's just like, look, find situations for women to be half naked and tied up.
0: Well, I was just bringing up Penthouse and, and I brought up Larry Flint, but bringing up something like that, a lot of his nudie cuties were like those Penthouse columns that you could write in and write your dirty little fantasy of how you want to rape the male lady or something like that. And if you go back and I mean, I'm, I don't know how many people have fucking Penthouse magazines from the 70s, but if you read those, they're just these lucid fucking crazy fantasies of people that would write into the magazine and they would publish it. And H.G. Lewis really... Because you, you, at one point, were like, he didn't make anything too rape. It's like, hey, well, I don't know about that. He <laughs> he really got borderline, though. Some some of his nudie cuties that were all produced by David S. Friedman were, were fucking uncomfortable. But he did moving, and I, I always give the motherfucker credit when he moved into making violent pictures. His violence, I, I think the only person that I, I really feel borderlines H.G. Lewis is somebody like Lucio Fulci, that the violence is always some sort of incredible bizarreity. the pretense of the violence is so unbelievable that it should be very obvious that this is make-believe and it's not that you need those four walls but i deeply appreciate it when it comes to displaying incredibly graphic violent things like a lot of fulci movies cat in the brain is just uh, uh brutalization after brutalization after brutalization Normally something like that I wouldn't have a particular interest in, but the framing and the whole idea of how Fulci set this up, I am enamored with. It's one of my favorite movies he ever made. Love Cat in the Brain. And yet, if
1: you go through all these eras of mostly considered softcore because you couldn't do penetration hardcore porn, but it, people say, ah, we don't, there's no such thing as rape culture. Go through erotica of the last, like, what, yeah, yeah, what Hundred years, and so much of it is revolved around women having sex against their will. It's even currently going on in like pornography today, today, where we sit. They set up a situation
0: where it's hi. I don't know. I'm just coming here uh, for a job. Yeah, oh, yeah, the casting you know, couch. They got the fake taxi. All the stuff that's just some like which
1: is all basically like. Dubious consent porn, which is like that's that's a fetish of just like you're not sure if you want to have sex with
0: me, but you're going to. No such thing as rape culture, though. It 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 used to be illegal to to per, to show certain things. Like there's a just died, and I hope he burns in hell. He wasn't a very nice person. A uh, hardcore performer, a porn star named Max Hardcore. And he had been, he got sent to prison for making films with, I mean, the actors are legal. So they got a 23-year-old who looks 16 and they'll make fuck films of, of this stepfather fucking his 16-year-old daughter. There used to be obscenity laws in place where you couldn't do things like that. Now those are gone. Now you can have all these very, uh, and I, I'm, I'm not, again, yeah, I'm going to kink shame here, very bizarre, fucked up tapes I and mean, it's not even tapes anymore it's just just video as long after as video there's consent
1: i don't like i'm not gonna like speak too much it. as long as there's actual consent i don't know like a lot of the stuff is like set up and it's the situation is fake and everybody consented beforehand but like there's some people that kind of didn't have
0: full consent when they like entered into these things well, my point too on this matter is, is is specifically finding talent to use that term to not try and be offensive that looks underage to shoot an incest flick, or that you you couldn't shoot a movie about you banging someone under eighteen. Now those laws are not in place, so you can do that, which is I I think a pretty fucked up fetish. You can't portray, sorry, you know, up until a certain point you couldn't portray certain things, and now this law has completely gone out of place, and you can do whatever you want to. When you reflect and you look back at some of the atrocities and some of the just. Uh, beyond repair. Movies in the Nazi exploitation genre. If there hadn't been laws in place, it would just be a bewilderment of this mixture of porn and violence, and and what is separating the two. And I'm not a, a, a uh, I'm not a prude. It's I not mean, like not I'm against porn. Yeah. This is not about being prudish uh, behavior. It's just kind of like, uh.
1: So what are you into? Oh, this is my favorite type of erotica hey, you might want to get that checked out because uh, that sounds kind of a little bit fucked yeah. up what you're into. As long yeah. as you got consent for some of it, though, okay, as long as there are two people who want to kind of play with this, I'm fine with it. I'm not personally into it, though. It's just like, oh, that's kind of fucking weird. You want to fuck a Catholic schoolgirl under the pretension that it's okay, Th- at least she, like, oh, she looks like an adult. When they stop looking like adults, it's like, okay, you're kind of pushing this a little far.
0: Yeah, it's fine because she's a schoolgirl and I'm a school boy, but you're 38 and you're fantasizing about a 16 year old. There's a huge fucking problem. Yeah, you know, it's a little weird. America.
1: And that's, uh, we've kind of gotten off of the topic here, but it's, I mean, that's generally, you can't not discuss some of these things when you're talking about Nazi exploitation because. That's what a lot of it boiled down to. And if you want to get into, like, because Italy made a, a, a certain amount of Nazi exploitation films, and they had a fascist government during World War II. Um, and some of this is, you would have to, like, really talk to somebody from that era of what was mentally going on with them when they were making these Nazi exploitation films if it was kind of reaction to some of the lived history that people in Europe had. Because in America a lot of that shit didn't hit home as much as it hit in Europe. So you would really have to break it down that way and talk to somebody who's probably in their 60s and 70s of what they were
0: like, 80s. what their reaction to something like this is. I think a a big thing too is directly upon Love Camp 7 is, is what the fetish, fetishization so we're all struggling with it. Fetishization is of, and it's directly this love camp only brings in Jewish girls. So it's directly fetishizing the encapturement, the encampment, the enslavement of the Jewish people under the Nazi regime in World War Two. But this time, it's sexy, and that really like the it maybe maybe you're like ten, and minutes- it's sexy because they don't really want to do it. Yeah, they're doing it for their government. I mean, I, I well, it's still you have the whole idea of the camp that it's like they're just they're just having sex. It's not like they're being tortured. It's not like they're ha But in the same breath of that, the movie makes mentions of things like Auschwitz. I think they mentioned Mengele, that they're very well aware of the history that they're toying and that they're playing with. But it directly the whole point of this movie is this this the sexualization of these Jewish girls that are now in this camp. So that's the the whole premise of the movie. I I can't have... I mean, I, it's not that I, I hate this fucking movie, but I can't really have respect for it or take it seriously as anything other than just uh, cheap fucking entertainment for people to jerk off to. That it offers absolutely nothing else because it's really laughing at just the fucking. Ho- I mean, it's laughing at the Holocaust. It's laughing at a lot of shit. You know, I mean, it's. I don't know how I to. I mean, say it anymore, it's but. important that we
1: remember some of these films, but some of them, it's just like, can we let some of this go now? At this point, like, are we still holding on to this? Is like, well, this is where cinema was at the point. Yeah, it was kind of in a bad spot, if you can't tell. And that's my whole thing on Nazi exploitation because I've I've watched it over the years. Because when you get into something like video nasties, when you get into horror genre, you go through the 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 cavalcade of so fucked up movies so you end up watching a lot of them and some of them I've watched once some of them I've watched maybe more than once Um, but not much more than twice because it's just it's just not something that I find entertaining or interesting and they all end up vibing almost the exact same way every time it just all feels the same it's just like oh it's another one of these
0: and I just I don't care for them And this one really, Love Camp 7, is is I think the very first time that we get the triumphant all the nude people kill the Nazis at the end of the movie, which is replicated in Elsa Shibufo, the SS. It became sort of a quintessential piece of making a Nazi exploitation movie. All right. Well, there's got to be some triumphant scene at the end where we stop glorifying the Nazis and we get all these naked people who have been tortured to kill them. And I will admit. In Love Camp 7, it's kind of a cool scene. You've got this—I It's I, I mentioned Hogan's Heroes earlier, but the end of the movie is like a, a James Bond porn knockoff or something like that. But it's just a bunch of nude women shooting these Nazis down and nailing them. And then it turns back into the same story we had at the beginning with— these people in old age makeup talking about the war, and we find out the British gentleman that's been telling the story the whole time. It was his wife his wife was was the doctor oh my god they they got married, or was she one of the spies? It doesn't fucking matter. The semantics doesn't matter <laughs> it it just it you you just kind of um. You know, like, TV intros. Like, you have this this made-for-TV intro, then it goes into this really explicit... Not, see, that's a bad term. It's not really explicit. It's just kind of, like, flaccid dicks and tits flapping around and a bunch of people in cheap Nazi uniforms on bad set pieces, and then it goes back to this really serious thing. So at the end of the movie, they kind of trick you to make you think, like well, I, I guess this was a pretty serious movie. I mean, yeah, this was, this was, they say it's based on a true stories. so I think it might be based on, like, they lived, they fought, we won! Fuck that, yeah, we won! And then it just ends, and it kind of really, and that that, that is credit to Friedman of knowing how to trick the audience and, and that old H.G. Lewis kind of carny bringing you in thing that the beginning and the end of the film really bookend you into thinking you watched a legitimate movie, and at the end of the day, it's, it's not even... It's not a movie, and it's not porn. It's just kind of a, a reel of people goofing off and fucking brutalizing each other and yelling and bad German accents. Everyone talks like this! The whole movie! Every single character! They just talk like this!
1: And you can, like, say what you want to about Pasolini as a person and all the, sh- like the, the shit that that man's life was, but at least... Salo has a goddamn point. And I mean, it's it's not even like, I don't like Salo, is such a great film. I mean, Salo's fucked up. It's well, fucked up in a lot of ways, but at least it's actually trying to say something. This is not trying to say anything other than, Ain't this a sexy situation? And no, it, it's not a sexy situation. Why are you finding any of this sexy? Yes,
0: yeah, Salo is not a Nazi exploitation movie. I'll, I'll die on that hill. It's Italian fascists. Pasolini made some insanely gorgeous, beautiful films, so at the same time, it's like you're looking at this or you're looking at Love Camp 7. I think his statement, and again, I'm not defending or not speaking on the personal life of Pasolini the least bit, but you look at his work and his art, then you look at the work of David S. Friedman, who he's not the sole person responsible for this movie. Directed by Lee Frost, so at least we can give some hate to this guy. And then Elsa was directed by, uh, was it Edmund? Don Edmonds?
1: I believe that's his name.
0: I mean, David Friedman at the same time did some okay stuff. He did chain gang women and police women, So he, he's not a complete waste of an artist.
1: No, yeah, I mean, he made some pretty classic um, exploitation films throughout the years and kind of dropped off like when...
0: The Thing with Two Heads, man. He did Chrome and Hot Leather, The Thing with Two Heads, Chain Gang Women, The mm-hmm. Black Gestapo, which is a, a whole weird different monster of its own, and I'm surprised.
1: Starring back from Night Court.
0: It all comes full circle, baby. I'm surprised that's not a video nasty. The Black Gestapo
1: is a, a, a It's a part of away. a list. It's just, it's one of the, uh, It's I think it was in the, like, it's questionable list. It wasn't on the, you know, the, the DDP one or two. Is it DDP or am I thinking Diamond Dallas Page Yoga? DPP. DPP, yeah. DPP. DDP is (laughs) Diamond Dallas Page,
0: yeah! (laughs) Bam! DDP! He loves censoring those movies. (laughs) Ha ha! And he also loves clean and sober living as well as meditation. Diamond Dallas Page. So I, I I'm actually <laughs> I'm honestly surprised at this point. I can't believe we're we're at like forty minutes in on Love Camp Seven and it's it's an absolute shock for me.
1: We go I mean we didn't specifically focus on it. We went into a whole diatribe about fucking like just this genre of film and just kind of how I find it distasteful and not very interesting.
0: Well, I mean, there's still some I, I hate saying it, even though I shit talked this movie. Uh there's still some legitimacy behind it. Just for the the genuine interest of film history, horror history, if you will, going through as Alexander Nash said, the video nasties, these unwatchable movies, and and seeing them, understanding why they were offensive, understanding not not so much on the DPP list or why this movie was banned, but why this movie is fucking a problem, and I and definitely covering the fetishization of Jewish people sexually. During the Holocaust, it just seems like a fucking bad idea all around. But at the same time, this genre stretches. I i would say at least a thousand movies between zombies and sex and violence and sex and more. Eh. It's a big all genre right. of garbage.
1: This is the part where we're, we go to school, folks, and we, uh, we do a little research. We read uh, a passage from the same goddamn book as <laughs> so we've been doing this for the last like five years. The Art of the Nasty by Nigel Wingrove and Mark Morris, and kind of the current state of Love Camp 7, as it stands in the UK right now. Love Camp 7, the very first the sleazy, nasty Nazi movies, predating the Canadian Elsa entry and the Italian Death Camp films, the... Darren and Market prints are identical. Rejected by the BBFC when submitted for video certificate by Redemption in two thousand two. So I think it is actually still pretty banned in uh, the UK because they don't put fuck with the uh, the Nazi exploitation over there still particularly. And um, I did look it up. If you are a collector, um, you're looking for the Abbey Market VHS tape of it, the PAL VHS and the last one sold for fucking 344 pounds. Apparently, this is a very sought-after uh, video, Nasty, so that is pretty goddamn expensive yeah. for a piece-of-shit nazi exploitation film that is less interesting than all the rest of the piece-of-shit nazi exploitation films. So, whatever. If you're into collecting this shit, take out a small loan for a Love Camp 7 PAL VHS and uh and this is the part where we uh break it down why do you think it was banned is it possibly all the nazi shit and the torture
0: i'm gonna say it's all the nazi shit and the torture yeah
1: it's probably all the nazi shit and all the nudity because the the uk is not you know they don't care about nudity in films at all i mean they're a little bit more uh liberal when it comes to nudity and, and than in america but They don't fuck with, like, nudity and violence mixed in the same scenes. Like, that was a big deal with the BBFC, and that's why a lot of the films ended up on the Video Nasty list, is just sexualized violence. And this is probably the least sexualized violence of all the Nazi exploitation films, but yet it is still sexualized violence.
0: We used to take some time to talk about how I would buy every movie for the Video Nasties. I still do, but... There's really nothing to talk about on this Blu-ray. It's pretty much the movie and then a very, very dated documentary with that chick. Uh, Who put it out? Blu-ray was put out by Blue Underground, which that seems right. That old Bill. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of Nazi exploitation movies from them and Severin. It's a surprise that this wasn't a Severin. Can't wait to get that black manual box set. Mm. Well, there's nothing really on this. You've got a, a, a documentary about Nazi exploitation movies that is hosted by the chick that broke up Sandra Bullock and Jesse James' marriage. And guess what? She's in full Nazi regalia and at one point spanked somebody with a crop in full Nazi regalia. So we return full circle to what Alexander Nash had said at the beginning of the show. Most of this is all due to sexualization. And personally, just just me speaking, I find the sexualization of Nazi Germany to be uh, incredibly disturbing and it's a little gross. Something's fucking wrong with you. All right. I'm going to say it. If no one else has said it, something's fucking wrong with you. It's the
1: ultimate domi- like dominating presence as far as like humanity is concerned, and that isn't like some kind of supernatural thing. It's like, oh, it's the most evil people here. See, do- be dominant. I'm gonna get dominated by a Nazi.
0: Like you don't have like idiomine people or Pol Pot or Mussolini or or George W. Bush. Like you but won't. they didn't have the outfits, man. You got the Trump people that takes us back to MAGA. So there they are, the the boot licking fascists in modern day I'm I just like calling them Nazis I don't like calling people MAGA Republicans if they look like an. you're a
1: fascist there you go <laughs> like, I'm
0: gonna I'm, I'm go old school you don't want to call me I'll, I won't call you
1: a Nazi I call you a fascist well what do you you don't know what fascist means I kind of do I, yeah
0: no think I do I, I got yeah, you checked like seven of these pretty sure I do so long story short if you are entertained by this that's fine But if you get, like, some weird raging boner and come every time you see a swastika, go to fucking therapy. I don't know. I thought I had a thing. I thought I was going to go somewhere with it. Work on your daddy issues, please. Uh Mein Vater. (laughs) Vater. That's my German. I should have done the whole show like this.
1: I like your coy German man.
0: We can now move on to the next movie from 1981. Yes, it's by Ovidio G. Uh, A guy. I don't know his name. It's a madhouse. I had to do anthrax, man. We're going to talk about madhouse by a video G. Asonitis.
1: Asonitis.
0: I love what well, you got to say it with the, the German inflection. I'm not doing German really. I don't know. It sounds good though. I like it.
1: I'll like Phineas and Firm German. I don't know.
0: Um, it's <laughs> well, no well, madhouse. Rzark, yeah. Sorry. I'll st- I'm done. I'm done. Help me get out of here. We can start over, just the two of us. Our party is just beginning. <laughs> you can't leave yet. You're not still afraid of her after all these years? The stories you used to tell. They were not stories. And you're afraid What of? On her birthday, she had the special ceremony. Soon it will be our birthday again. Remember? Remember how we used to celebrate Sister D. No. <laughs> Remember what I did? How it hurt? Huh? Well, I will make it hurt again. I'll make you suffer what I've suffered. <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> Run, you'll never get away from me, Julia. What is it? I told you I shouldn't come. I told you. Now what is it? What's happened? She tried. She tried to, to do what? What are you talking about? <laughs>
1: Madhouse is an interesting film starting with Avedo Asenitis, because as a producer, he's an Italian producer. He worked with James Cameron on Piranha too. He worked on beyond the door. And the little factoid that's interesting about Avedo is he would hire directors like this film. He hired a director. He hired James Cameron for Piranha too. Then after about 10 days of shooting, ah, you're fucking this up. You're fired. I've gotten rid of the director And now I can stick my name on it because they financed the film with this guy as a director. They wouldn't finance it with me as a director. So uh, there you go. I got an American name on my titles, James Cameron. You're the director. I'm doing this myself, though. It's just kind of a fun thing because I I, so many Avido Asinaitis productions. He was the director on either in name like this film. He actually got his name in the credits or he would fire him just to get the money and make the movie himself and that's what he did with this film and he did a pretty decent job although the
0: ending sucks and the kind of the overall story sucks the ending uh, almost ruins it for me that I, I, I don't it's a cop out yeah it's, it's very similar to what I, I said about Love Camp 7 I don't dislike this movie but I don't really like it I don't have anything good nor bad to say at the same time and he got two million dollars for this movie it has a budget it looks good you said at the beginning of the show that this looks and feels. The like cinematography a...
1: is great.
0: Uh, Riz Ordolini does the music. I like the music. You said it
1: was like too much of a cannibal holocaust. No, I thought figure, it was though.
0: Ferox straight up. There, there's, I'm, sh- I'm sure. Oh, Ferox. I thought you meant holocaust. I'm sure there are pieces that he just used from the Ferox score. Because there's some pieces that are just utterly resemblant of it. Sounds exactly the same. For me, I can't get started with Madhouse. That uh, the, the entire momentum of the movie never seems to really roll or go anywhere. And you know how you've got like that first... 10 to 20 minutes of movie where they really get the ball rolling and you get introduced with everyone you understand who the characters are Madhouse kind of struggles with that until the end it, it, it's entire runtime, it seems like it's really getting started they introduce concepts and then it kind of lingers like we're right on the fringe of this concept being explained but we never quite get any form of explanation we're always just drifting further and further away and then it just ends
1: well it's, it's definitely got pacing issues because it's just it just kind of mindlessly goes from scene to scene. We do have like, you know, a kill scene and then we have a dialogue rich drama scene, but it's mostly just introducing the characters. We learn about um this girl um, Julia, right? Is that Julia Yeah, Julia and her sister Mary, who are twins, but sister Mary is an insane asylum cuz she's crazy and disfigured from some you know, non-named flesh-eating virus or something. So she's a crazy
0: bitch, and she has a dog. So it's never ever named at all in the movie? I felt like I missed something no. the entire time. Which they is... never explain what's wrong. She just has a disease. And it's th- that the movie seems to suffer from this problem throughout its entirety, that it just feels like... Even though you're sitting in the room the whole time, like, you've walked out and you've missed something. It, it it just seems like there's one very crucial scene or one big piece that maybe you talked through or you farted or something or the dog barked and you just missed. But no, it doesn't seem like... I, I mean, because that's what I was struggling with is, wait, so why... She's in the hospital because uh, unknown craziness and then weird face why what you got to tell me things like this you got to explain Go to the audience 20 minutes of setting up the
1: relationship between Julia and Mary of how like they had this chaotic relationship as children and Mary really got off on torturing Julia and once we established that and her dog Mary's dog would always attack Julia and it caused the whole fucking you know to do in their fucking childhood and now that she's back in her life and she visits her in the hospital, this dog shows up and randomly kills a bunch of people. Oh, it's her. And okay, but once we've established that's what's going on, it just goes from scene to scene to scene of that happening of here's the dog attacking somebody that lives in her building. Next scene. I don't know. No one believes me. My sister's after me.
0: Next scene, dog attack. It's just kind of like it just kind of putters on. Well, there's a lot of elaborate setups that I just don't understand why I spend so much time on it, that we learn so much about Julia and her career. She's a teacher at the School for the Deaf. And, and it doesn't this, factor in. Yeah, we get this huge thing about her and how much she cares about this child named Sasha. Spoiler fucking alert, Sasha ends up being killed. And it doesn't seem to... It, okay, so this person is attacking her, and we find out that this this it seems... Her sister has escaped from this asylum or wherever she's being held, and all these attacks are happening. And it's her sister's dogs. We learn these stories; they're very brutal murders. So they—the first person killed is like—he uh, works in the building. He's—he's he's, you know he's like a janitor, not a janitor, but you know he's he's a building guy. He works in the building, not somebody she specifically loves. Just a random death of somebody that Julia has has met in this movie. And then it suddenly changes gears to everyone that's being killed is somebody that she really cares about so the killer is going after somebody you know it's it's very personal there's this huge personal angle, and all of this metamorphosizes into absolutely nothing. We get these elaborate setups, these great shots, everything looks really cool. We have this whole thing with her landlord who owns the building that she hangs out with, and all of these characters are eventually somewhat similar to something like Scream. They're just used to set up and killed, but Scream at least has a point, and at the end of the movie, you learn all of the reasons why the killers are doing it. At the end of this movie, it's like, all right, I, her uncle, who also is a priest, uncle father. And the first time I watched the movie, I thought for like twenty minutes that they were just like Episcopalians, and you just called like the priest uncle, like how Catholics are father. But it's her uncle who is also clearly he's not a Catholic. I mean, I don't know. I have no well, idea. We spend
1: a lot of time
0: on who are these people, uncle father, and we spend a lot of time on her
1: relationship with her like psychologist boyfriend. Donald Sutherland's melted clone.
0: And Uncle Father is also Roddy McDowell sometimes. He looks very, (laughs) very similar to Roddy McDowell. They got the same haircut. Yeah, that's weird.
1: But, so we establish, like, a lot of that relationship between her and her uncle. And, spoiler alert, the uncle turns out to be helping her sister kill people. But why? But... The all the stuff we've set up with the uncle doesn't really feed into that other than keeping his character alive in the film and him like, you're just being crazy. But once we introduce him as an antagonist and it's like, Oh, he's been a killer. He's been helping Mary this entire time. And it's like, okay, why, why is he helping her? Oh, and now he's stabbed Mary for no reason. What? Why is any of this happening? And it does get bloody. It gets kind of like, it gets pretty um, slasherific at the end with the scenes of violence and the uh the hatcheting of Uncle Father at the
0: end is fucking brutal. I would say, I guess this is a warning to the audience too. There there two animals die in the movie, and they're they're very fucking cheap animal puppets. It's not real animals in the least bit. But I think the most brutal scene is that drill to the dog's heads. I said spoilers, but man, that was an upsetting. I mean, sequence. spoilers. The the whole thing
1: is like that's uh, spoilers for our show. Yeah, that's the reason this ended up on the, uh, the dog scene. Uh, a dpp list it's because of animal uh, violence to animals and it's this stuffed dog head that a dude drills <laughs> donald sutherland's melted clone drills a dog in the head because it's a crazy ass attack dog i but that that's why it's
0: banned and probably some of the hatcheting didn't help at the end but i would say to the ch- the child death which there is some real but it's off screen it's off screen, but still, I mean, uh, while I'm on that subject, there are some genuinely sincere, beautiful scenes that are are you can't help but emote with. Uh, a child dies in this movie. And as we made clear, Julia is a teacher for the School of the Deaf, Deaf, not the Deaf, the School of the Deaf. And she has all these children explain, you know, say why you liked Sasha. Let's just let's remember his honor. And holy shit. It is. It is a beautiful emotional scene. Your nose starts to tingle. You're watching the slasher movie. You're not expecting to feel something, but all of that emotion is built up, and it's this. It's it's beautiful to this point because you're really expecting some crescendo of fucking just 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 mind blowing cinematic experiences. All of it's just thrown away. You don't get to yes. None of it's there. Like, okay, you made me feel so fucking bad about this kid. And the movie's just like. But it adds nothing. Adds nothing to the
1: narrative that you're telling. It's just like, let's have an incredibly sad scene about a bunch of deaf kids saying, I I miss my friend. Okay, well, how does this relate to everything else that's going on? Oh, it doesn't. It's just there.
0: We're filling time. I think the biggest jerk off that that really sucks at the end of this movie is we have no explanation. So uh, all you needed to do is say why. Any reason. Oh, they do. That's that's what pisses me off about it, because the uh, George Bernard Shaw quote
1: at the end, I I can't remember the exact quote, but I'll sum it up. It basically says, you know, sometimes shit just don't make sense. Ah, oh, thanks. And like, that's the, how you're going to end your movie. You give me a, like a bunch of nonsense at the end of like, all right, well, what's the motive here? Well, sometimes shit just don't make sense. Well, fuck you. Thanks for like just like completely blue balling me at the end of just like, all right, I guess I just watched some stuff happen.
0: What's really annoying about that, though, is that there seems to be tons of setups. And it really feels like something just... I don't know. We don't need that. Cut it out of the movie. That when you watch it and you look carefully throughout the entire movie, Dennis Roberts' character, Uncle Father James, he's got photos of both of the twins on his desk. He seems to have a big infatuation with helping both of them that he's been involved in their life. So he's their uncle. Is there, like, a molestation angle? Was he doing some... Is this why she's disfigured? Who knows? We don't ever I heard a theory that...
1: This is again. This ain't my theory. I it was on um, that uh, the video nasty's um, YouTube show. Who uh, there's some pretty good uh, people. They like do a kind of a similar thing. It's on YouTube. Just you check out their channel.
0: I'd say this is a shout out, but we can't even get their name right. So <laughs> the video nasty, um, the video nasty project. project. Those guys, yeah, no, those guys are sweet. They're really cool people. Uh, I think it's called the
1: YouTube channel called the uh, Psychotic Toaster. Something like that. I can't remember. You Just look up the video Nasty Project on YouTube. You'll see their show.
0: Fine. But
1: their theory was basically that Uncle Father had created all of this. He was poisoning, not like literally poisoning, but like metaphorically poisoning the twins against each other their, like their whole lives. And that's why Mary is such a shit to Julia. And like, And at the end, he even kills Mary because he's just been a psychotic fuck the entire time. That this whole relationship between the twins has been fucked up by him specifically, which I mean, that would make it make a little bit more sense.
0: I'm going to take that. I'm going to go with that because that gives at least um, ah, it gives shape to it. It gives a form. It gives something that you can have some belief in because. For me what what makes it, it almost imposes upon itself at the end of the movie by not establishing any form of actual reason it it ruins the movie for me because now there was no point i could have just been jerking the fuck off i could have i could have been watching love camp 7 you know george bernard shaw said sometimes shit just don't make sense george bernard shaw can eat my fucking ass
1: That she's just tell you everything you need to know about the
0: movie.
1: Sometimes life doesn't make sense,
0: folks. And I can tell you here, either footage was compromised that they couldn't use, it couldn't be cut into the movie, and they finally are doing the edits. Everyone realizes this is a big piece of shit because it has no point, and somebody went, let's add a George Bernard Shaw quote to the end of it. And that's what happened. That's what you do when you lose your footage because somebody opened the canister and it was exposed to light. Something fucking happened, and I'm sure. Because even though... This movie, I I don't want to call it a giallo, but it definitely follows the lines, the trends, and the motivations of a giallo. This is a southern fried American slasher. Despite being an Italian fucking crew and an Italian director, you have got a Georgia movie. I mean, this is genuinely, I I would put this on the list of American slashers.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an American slasher, but it does have that European flavor to it, and what I do find amazing about it is I think the cinematography is gorgeous at times, especially at the end. Um, the acting is all pretty like, like proficient. It's, it's a well put together movie. It looks good. It yeah. sounds good. It feels good. It's just, the story is not there to back it up. It, it has these amazing building blocks to create something that could have been incredibly special, but it's just kind of frittered away. Cause they just didn't know what, to do with the pieces of this puzzle it's just like well it's a puzzle we put it together it doesn't look like anything but um the box says it's a donkey so it's just like i don't know it's that's my big regret with the film it's just there are so many awesome pieces and it's just you, they didn't know how to connect them and that's kind of a, a big flaw for me but as far as video nasties goes this is one of the classiest of um all the films on the list, it's really kind of classically done and classically made.
0: Well, we got we got one of the... I think it'll be the final film. I think it's probably... I don't want to say my favorite on the list, but it's pretty fucking classy. It was directed by a pretty classy guy. But... It's kind of remarkable with Madhouse and Love Camp 7, how both of them are incredibly vague and not specifically about anything. Like, Love Camp 7 can't be accused of the same things as Madhouse, because at the beginning and the end, it definitely has uh, a direction. And it goes places, despite them not being any places anybody ever really should have gone or wanted to go to. And it just—I agree with everything you've said. I like Madhouse. I think it's stylistic. I think it's a pretty movie. It's well-acted. It's enjoyable to watch. But it, it just annoys me to the point that, you know, I've, I've seen it once or twice before we did this episode. I watched it twice to do this episode. Um, I got the Blu-ray. It's by Arrow. It's a nice Arrow always, constantly. It, it, that's all you have to say to know that it's going to be really great quality. It's an Arrow Blu-ray. I have no interest in ever watching it again.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the 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 parts don't add up to to much of anything. So the parts are nice, though. I, I like sp- like scenes in it, but it's just there's just not enough of those coherent scenes to stream together, like a narrative that I enjoy watching. It's not like I, I think like something like Madman is an objectively worse shot film, but it's put together in such a way and to where like the music works, the production design works, all this works together. You get points for just making a coherent together marketable picture. And Madhouse is missing a few of those, like those aspects. So I would like, I like Madman more than this,
0: even though it's like kind of a shittier movie overall. Yeah. I just find it a letdown. I think at, at the end of the day, it's just kind of a letdown. And you, you, have the the same experience if you are going through the video nasties list and you watch these movies as they appear alphabetically you go from love camp seven you go to madhouse and it's fine i just find neither of them complement the other uh we at least got some invocative great discussions out of this episode but madhouse for me is i just would never recommend it to someone and that's something i i I always try and rate a movie with if i if you want to watch a really good uh, It doesn't matter, American slasher, European slasher, 80s slasher. Unfortunately, I don't think Madhouse would even be on, like, a top 10 to 15 list of movies that you should check out. It, it's, But at the same time, if you're fucking listening to this and you're taking this journey with us, yeah, check it out on Tubi or something. I mean, find it, enjoy it, and see what we're talking about. Because I don't want to come off like we're shit-talking it. It's like Diet Coke. Yeah. That's, that's the best like metaphor I can come up with, Madhouse. It's, just,
1: it's like having a cold Diet Coke on a hot day when there's nothing else to drink. It's like, okay.
0: Well, even looking at it in another metaphor, it's the Diet Coke of American Slashers. It's a Diet Coke giallo. It's just Diet Coke. You know, it's there. It's not bad. It's not going to be a waste of your time. But at the same time, you really just would rather have had a Coke. And, yeah, and after you watched it, you get a little bit of a bitter aftertaste. There you go, Diet Coke. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the best way to end it. It's not, uh, neither of these movies, well, okay, I, I was going to say neither of these movies are bad. That's a lie. Love Camp Seven's pretty bad. <laughs> but Madhouse, it's, it's it, You it, again, I think I said, I made some reference about a Sunday afternoon movie at the beginning of the show. This is a Sunday afternoon movie. You can watch it. You can show it to people if you want to. I just think, my, I I felt if I showed this movie to people, everyone would turn around and go, so what the fuck? Why is he killing people? And I don't want to have that conversation. I'd rather put on deep red or something and everyone just shut the fuck up and think about it because it was deep red. Have fun. Well, I'm the kind of prick who uh, when
1: somebody asked me that question, why what, what is he killing people? I don't know, but you should watch this
0: movie Final Exam because um, that will answer all your
1: questions.
0: <laughs> yeah, you really, really want to have... A true experience that all your questions are answered. Watch Final Exam. Every question answered in that film. At Lanier College, they have the yeah. finest security, oh the best teacher-student relations, <laughs> no fraternity yeah. reason. strictly enforced curfews, Shh. What was that? and a killer. He's come back. Final Exam.
1: When are you going to realize that the whole world isn't made of psychopaths?
0: There's a murderer around campus killing people. Some may pass the test. Lisa! God help. The rest. And now for the most interesting part of the show.
1: From the book, The Art of the Nasties. I'm not going to read the author's names again. You've got it once already. Madhouse, not released theatrically in the UK. It was issued in both cut and uncut versions by Medusa around the same time as Absurd, featuring the only known scene of a very fake dog having its head drilled. This scene was unsurprisingly missing from the cut version. There was also an alternative sleeve with a different dog motif at the top and an extra photo at the bottom. Now uncut and widescreen on British DVD and Blu-ray. Also, just uh, looking around for it, uh, these, these things are apparently pretty widely available. Uh, the VHS, um, they're not that expensive. They're like the the last one I saw sold was like sixty-four pounds. Which is really not that bad for a lot of these, like, you know, pre certificate uh, video nasties, uh, PAL VHS tapes. So, this one is apparently not that hard to find. So, track it down. It's on the uh, old school Medusa label in the UK. And why do we think this
0: one was banned? The dog. Power tools. It's not even so much the dog. And power tools, yeah, you're right. One of the biggest things the BBFC couldn't stand and would almost automatically get a movie put on the video nasties list if a power tool was used. And it really, I'll say it every time I talk about it, it comes down to belittlement. How little the government thought of the English people. Of they're so fucking stupid, they're gonna watch a movie of somebody using a saw as a weapon, and they're gonna go use a saw as a weapon. And it's it's just direly goddamn insulting. <laughs> It was like imitatable
1: violence was one of the uh, the the terms that they used. Like they uh, like with pranks, the uh, pranks VHS tape it had the um, the nails to the baseball bat. People are gonna learn how to make weapons like that. It's nails in a in a baseball bat. It's not high tech shit. They I, know. I, it's it's past the dark ages. I'm pretty sure people can figure out how to make a weapon like this. But it was stuff like that where they would just get really antsy about like well. We've got power twos in a home, and then some child's going to use it on the parents. Mm, no, not good. We should ban it.
0: But oddly yet, they didn't ban open windows when Eric Clapton's kid fell out of one, so you got to really make your rules easy to say follow. I it's a crash one. joke, but uh, kind of a prick, so whatever. Fuck him. Yeah, Eric Clapton's not a good person, so we can make fun of his dead kid now. Fuck you. If it was a bag of cocaine, would that child have fallen from the window? I asked the audience that, because no, it wouldn't have. He'd have snatched that fucker up, just got it. It would have never made it to the windowsill. And we would have all been spared Tears From Heaven, because I, I just, I don't think it's a great song. I'm sorry. Layla's great, cocaine's great, the song, the drug, but Tears From Heaven. Last week we ended on a Taylor Swift joke, and this time it's just Eric Clapton. You're not a nice person. You sued that old German woman for a bootleg tape from her dead husband for thousands of. She doesn't have that money. What is wrong with you? What are you? And get alone the COVID stuff. I was you... making an example of her. A... People can't steal my music. No, it just it's like three songs. People like three songs. You fucking asshole. Yeah, Eric Clapton, a fucking asshole. But it is a pretty video, video nasty episode, so it's on. We're on. We're on brand. It's not too far off. I mean, I'm not trying to be a dick and make fun of somebody's dead kid, but, I mean, it's not like the kid, I mean, his tears are in heaven. What is he gonna fucking know? I don't know. The ashtray's full, the bottle, are we there? Is this the end? I think this is the
1: end of the show, (laughs) dude. Like, it's Video Nasty's show. We talked. We got through the movies. Next time, it's Mardi Gras Massacre. Catch, catch Big the whoop. horror taxi. Fuck that
0: movie. <laughs> it's not just Mardi Gras Massacre. We've got Mardi Gras Massacre and Nightmares and a Damaged Brain. Ah, see, we got one great movie. We're going to have some fun with that next week on Death by DVD because what you are listening to is the beautiful beginnings of a whole month of video nasty movies. And thank you for getting nasty with Death by DVD. Please be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Even though that's sinking like the Titanic, it's all death by DVD. And did you know you can watch episodes behind the scenes episodes, episodes exclusive only to Patreon? We have a Patreon. You can pay. To watch Death by DVD, I know that sounds like you're getting cheated, but every single cent that you give us goes directly back to Death by DVD, keeping our servers open, keeping the show on the air. Thank you for choosing Death. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Until next time, be pleasant.
1: of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced.
0: Death By DVD is broadcast from on top of Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building. Wish you a pleasant good night and good morning.